0: Okay, uh, we are in this series on the gospel, and I know it's something, at least it's, it's my goal to preach the gospel every week, but in this series we're, we're looking at how the gospel comes to us in pictures, in the Bible. A lot of times we, we get the propositions um, really well, but we miss or go around a lot of the pictures. And I'm not just saying this because it's an easy thing to say, but I feel like the text that we're going to look at today is one of the most significant texts in the whole Bible, and in terms of picture, gospel picture, other than the cross of Jesus Christ, I don't think there's a more profound picture of what the gospel is. So with that being said, um, let's turn our Bibles to Genesis 15. Found on page 11, if you have a Bible like mine. This is something I teach every uh, time I go to Israel, so I debated if I should actually do it here, but it, um, Tim Keller, one of the uh, pastors that mentors me from afar, um, I don't know him, but he is a Paul to me, uh, said about this passage that this has probably profoundly changed his life more than any other passage of the Bible. Um, So, with this sense of anticipation of what God's going to say this morning, uh, if you can stand, let's stand for the reading of God's word. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one that's going to inherit my estate is Elazar of Damascus. And Abraham continued, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. It's pretty blunt. The word of the Lord came to him. This man that you speak about will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And God took Abram outside and said, look up. Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then God said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and God credited that belief to him as righteousness. He also said to him, Abraham said to God, oh, no, no, God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said back, sovereign Lord God, how can I know that I'm even going to gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these things to him, cut them in two, arranged them in halves, each opposite the other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came upon him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your family will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish that nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come free with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back to this land, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This is God's word. You can be seated. Right at the beginning of the story. And let me just... Uh, help us find our way into where we are in God's story. We we need to start with Abraham because at this point in history, uh, he is this lone flicker of light in a dark world. He's like this little candle in the wind that's just blowing blowing and, and barely staying lit. Think about that. Be inspired by that. If the whole world forsake God, would you still be like Abraham? Or his fire still burns in your heart? Now, God calls this little flickering light to partner with him to redeem the world. And the call begins with, with these words Abram, get up and start walking. I can almost hear Abraham saying, I'm 90 years old, how far? And I can see God just saying back to him, far. You're going to leave your family, you're going to leave life as you know it, you're going you're to walk, and I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to make a family out of you, your family's going to be great, and through your family, all the nations, all the families of the world will be blessed. And I can almost see Abram asking, where do I go? And I can just see God saying, start walking. And Abraham gets up and he walks. And he walks, and he walks, and he walks, and he walks, and he walks. He walks a thousand miles not knowing where he's going because he trusts God. Is there anything right now that you would be willing to walk a thousand miles for? Do you trust God enough to walk a thousand miles for him, not knowing where God would say you're going? Because this is faith. But in all of this, I I, I don't want to put Abram too much on a pedestal because He's a man like all of us. He has fears, he has doubts, he has insecurities, he he feels vulnerable. In fact, I feel like that is the context in in, in which our text is set today. Verse 1 says, the word of the Lord comes to him, and it comes to him in in a vision. And and it made me ask this question, uh, the word of the Lord, is that something that we hear or is that something that we see? Well, just close your eyes for a second, just close them. What do you see when I say the word of the Lord? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh, and the word walked among us. What do you see? You can open your eyes. Christ is all over our Bibles and it's into Abraham's fear and his insecurity that he says this, these wonderful things. It's like he's saying, Abraham, I see you. I'm your I'm your shield, Abraham. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to have all of these fears because I have your life in the palm of my hand. Whatever you're going through, just consider that I got it. And even more than protection, God's. God says to him, I'll be your reward. In other words, not riches, not fame, not even the blessings from God's hand, but God says, I'm going to be your reward. And I ask myself, can I say that today? God, are, are you my reward? Are, are you more precious to me than, than silver or gold? I mean, we sung about it this morning, or, or like... Um, the psalmist says, whom, whom have I in heaven but you? Uh, nothing on earth uh, exists that I desire but you. Is Christ the most precious thing to you right now? See, now Abraham is, is, is God's partner. Abraham, the Bible says, is a friend of God. There's relationship here. There's intense relationship Um, And and because it's a relationship, Abraham has voice, right? He, 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 He can share his heart. And so he says to God, he says, Sovereign Lord, I remain childless. In fact, it literally reads, I walk childless. You asked me to walk. I walked a thousand miles. I did my part. God, I'm still waiting for you to do your part. You talk to God that way. Jewish people call this chutzpah. Now, chutzpah doesn't always mean a positive thing. A lot of times it has a negative connotation. It can mean pushiness or but 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 chutzpah. Is this persistence. It's this like a kid taking their daddy by the, by the shirt tails and shaking them and saying, "I'm not going to let you go until you give me what I want." You talk to him that way. Do you pray to God that way? Look at God's response. Hey, dude, can you get some reverence when you talk to me? It's not what he says. Instead, it says, the word came to Abraham again. Verse 5, look up, Abraham. Do you see the stars? Count them, because that's how many children I'm going to give to you and to your descendants. When's the last time you looked at the stars Something that becomes more and more difficult to see in our, in our modern existence. But there are still those times and moments when, when, when we can just still gaze upon the, on the stars. And in doing so, when's the last time where, where that caused you to think about God? Or about yourself? David said, when I consider uh, the heavens and, and the work of thy hands, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, all David could say is, who am I? What am I that you would even think about me? But it also caused David to to realize what God made him to be. And he said, yeah, but you have have put all things under my feet to steward for your glory. And here's Abraham uh, called to look up at the stars. And and when's the last time where you've looked at the stars and and thought that God's kingdom is going to be that great? And look at verse 6. It says Abraham believed the Lord, and God credited that belief to Abraham as righteousness. I don't know if you know this, but that that one verse is quoted in Romans, it's quoted in Galatians, it's quoted in James, uh, in those books where they talk about the importance of faith. Because faith is a very big deal to God. And so I think this begs the question because faith is the thing that, that, that we give to God that, that uh, allows for us to belong to him and, and to participate in, in, in who God is and all the things that God's doing in our lives, and in our world. It, it, it's when we give him faith. Faith is massively important. And I think it begs the question then, what is faith? What does it mean to believe in the Lord? Now, my church tradition growing up, I was pretty much taught that that faith was about having all the right answers to all the right questions. That faith was having right doctrine, it was about having right theology. Now listen, I am not proposing having a mindless faith because God has given us our minds and we are to use our minds, especially with this book, that we need to push this book into our lives and our minds are a big part of that. We need to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our minds, with our strength. But biblical faith is not just what I know with my mind. It's trusting God... With my very life. Bless you, buddy. Faith is having this childlike trust in a heavenly father. And so, if my heavenly papa says, Start walking, I trust him and I walk. Even if it means that I have to leave behind things that I love. Things that mean a lot to me. Even if it means that I have to put on on an altar things that are most precious. Because God says, if you want to know what faith is, look at Abraham. And that faith that you see, that's righteousness. And, and, and the reason why Abraham could walk, I mean, I, I, I consider he, he didn't have this yet. This, this didn't exist. He had a few words from God. And, and, and so he was far from having all the answers. He was far from having God all figured out. In fact, he was far from every day walking with God where he was just completely happy. And his, his, his life was full of all this joy. Because sometimes the the, the walk is hard, sometimes it hurts, sometimes there's pain, sometimes there's confusion. Sometimes we're we're in this place where where we're wrestling with God and we're taking him by the coattails. And it's like, God, how is this all going to work out? That's faith. And look at verse 8. Abraham's not done with God. God says, You know, this land, you're going to take possession of it. It's what I promised to you. And, And how does Abraham respond? Great, God, I trust you. No. He says, How can I know? Or a better translation Hey, God, prove it. Prove it. Now, some of us are uncomfortable with talking to God this way. I mean, it seems to expose doubt in Abraham's heart. And and immediately, if if faith is all about having the right answers, and and you see this kind of doubt, you you just think there's something wrong with his faith. I mean, if faith is all about having the right answers, this looks like weakness. to, To have questions is a sign of weakness, This week I was talking uh, to someone in our church who literally lost the most precious person, her husband, in a tragic sort of way. And she said, Rod, literally there, there are days when I'm at my house and I'm just screaming audibly with all my might at God. And I could tell that she felt really uncomfortable about this. But consider that picture of someone who is in such pain because of such loss in her home screaming at God. I said that's one of the most beautiful pictures of faith I've ever seen. Because you don't scream and yell at someone you don't believe in. And all you're saying is that your love is so loud. (laughs) I remember my kids, especially when they were younger. The thing that would just like cut to my heart. And they're here right now. Don't you dare use this as ammunition <laughs> as you get older. Um, it's the simple words, Dad. You promised. Dad, you promised. Dad, you know that you promised that we were going to do this. Dad, you know that we you promised that we were going to go here. Dad, you know that you promised that we were going to do spring break. You promised. They're saying that to me because they trust me. They love me. And it's their way of saying, Dad, I trust you so much. Make it happen. And that's all Abraham is doing is he's saying, Papa, I trust you. Prove it. Make it happen. It's really because of Abraham's chutzpah that I think God provides One of the most powerful and profound pictures of the gospel in the Bible. Look at verses 9 and 10. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now notice, Abraham goes and does what God asks him to do. It says in verse 10, Abraham brought all these to him. He does not need for God to instruct him what to do with these animals because he knows exactly what God is asking to do. He cuts the animals from the very top all the way down the middle to the tail um, and then splits them in half. And what he's doing is he's forming an aisle where you have on each embankment Half of each of these animals with the blood flowing in the middle to form an aisle. Because this is the way that covenants were made in the ancient world. You didn't just get out the piece of paper and sign your name at the bottom on the the dotted line. uh, Because of what it says in verse 18 of our text. On this day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Um, It doesn't say made in the original language. It says he cut. Covenants are cut. They are cut in blood. I'll take you to another verse that flushes out how covenants were made in the ancient world. In Jeremiah 34, verse 18, it says, Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant that they made before me... I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. It's exactly what how how covenants were made is, is the two parties would come together, and then the animal or the animals would be cut in half, and the blood would be spilled, and they would take off their sandals, and each party would walk through the blood to say, if I don't keep my end of the bargain. May I be cut to pieces. May, may, may my blood be spilled. In fact, one of my mentors who spent a lot of his time in the Middle East, particularly in Israel, uh, one weekend was invited into, uh, his Bedouin friend invited him into his Bedouin home and village. And that particular weekend, uh, he took him to a wedding ceremony. And uh, sure enough, during the wedding ceremony, uh, both the fathers, the father of the bride and the father of the groom, came forward. The father of the groom, because in that culture is the greater party, uh, came with uh, all the terms of the covenant for both sides. And he read them out loud. The father of the bride came with goat or sheep. I think it was a goat in hand. And after the terms were read out loud by the father of the groom, the father of the bride who had goat and knife in hand slit its throat and the blood poured on the ground. And then the father of the groom first took off his sandals and he put his feet in that blood. And what he was saying to everybody, if my son fails to uphold his end of this covenant, may you cut me to pieces. And then the father of the bride uh, was next, and uh, he put his feet in the blood, and it said, if my daughter fails to uphold uh, her end of the covenant, may I be cut to pieces. I'm thinking, man, what if we did marriages this way today? (laughs) Because this is exactly what's going on in our text. Here's Abram, the lesser party. He's, he's, uh, to supply the animals. And and to create the isle, God, the the greater party, provides the terms. What are God's terms? They're all laid out in verses 13 to 16. They've they've also been laid out in other passages. Uh, Quick summation, God says, Abraham, I promise to bless you. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a great people out of you. And from your people is going to come Messiah, who's going to, through him, bless the whole world. Wow. It's awesome. And Abram, what does Abram have to bring to the table? Again, you you, you flush out uh, this entire narrative and it's flushed out most clearly in Genesis 17 verse 1 where God says, you and your people are to be faithful to me. You are to walk blamelessly before me. Give me another word, word for blameless. Wholehearted. perfect. These are the terms. And see, verse 12 says that this thick and dreadful darkness came over Abram. I mean, this this is a a Hebrew expression, which simply means Abram is scared to death. This whole ceremony, it crushes him. It drives Abram in the ground in total terror. Why? Abraham has gone from doubting God to now he's doubting himself. Me and my stupid chutzpah probably is what he's thinking. Like, I can't do this. My people can't do this. And then in verse 17, it says... When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing tor- torch appeared and passed between the pieces. A smoking fire pot with a is wrong translation. Smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. Start with the smoking fire pot. That's, again, just a, 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 an image to depict um, what the author is trying to describe, it would have been something awesome because the same word for smoke here is also the same exact word to describe God uh, when he leads his people through the wilderness as a pillar of smoke for 40 years. And again, that whole pillar of smoke that, that led Israel for 40 years, don't think of this as just a, a, a smoky cloud that floated because the text over and over again tells us that, that the, the pillar walked. And it ran. You can go to the bathroom, Richard. Um, Richard just, I'm ADD. He, Richard just said he had to go to the bathroom, so he's got to go to the bathroom. It's all right, buddy. You bet, buddy. Hey, guys, Richard has been coming to this church for a long time. He sits in the front row almost every Sunday. Not just one service, but both services. Um, Can we hear it for Richard, everybody? So, again, going back to that, that, that pillar of cloud, I mean... I want you guys to start thinking to yourself, this isn't just let the force be with you. In fact, there's at one occasion where it says, and they saw his feet. Who's in the cloud? Who's walking them through the desert for 40 years? You guys, Jesus is all over the book. And here he comes wrapped in a cloud and he takes his sandals off and, and he, he walks between the pieces down the aisle. Like a husband to say, this is no joke, Abram. I'm in this. I am bound to you. I love you so much that I don't want to just remain aloof, this aloof God. I, I, I want my feet to walk in your broken world, in, in your cancer, in your tragedies, in your hurt, in your pain. And I'm going to be faithful to you, Abram. You can count on it. Now it's Abram's turn. We've already read the, the text where Where Abram's crushed, I see him literally on the ground and and using all of his strength to get up. And like, how am I going to do this? Why am I going to do this? If I put my feet in that blood, I'm a dead man. My people are dead. And I see as Abraham gets closer, I see God coming down a second time. This time wrapped in fire. And It's almost like he says, Abram, you're a good man. But you cannot step in that blood or you're dead. Abram, I'm going to walk not once. I'm going to walk twice. And what he's communicating to Abram is gospel. Abram, whether you fail, your family fails, your descendants fail, it's on me. I'm the one who will be cut up. I'm the one who will pay for any mistakes, any sins, any way that you guys blow it, it's on me. And you could say at that moment that God sentenced Himself to be killed. And Abraham, I know, picks up on, on the meaning of what takes place. I see him almost weep, weeping like a baby. And see, many Christians um, have this misconception about animal sacrifice. We oftentimes think that animal sacrifice was done to forgive sins, but the book of Hebrews makes it very clear that the blood of animals cannot forgive sins. And, and, and the Hebrews always understood this. They knew that, that animal Animal sacrifice would never forgive uh, their sin. But the reason why God instructs the same five animals that Abraham brings to the covenant uh, throughout the story to sacrifice is to say to God every time that sacrifice is made, You walk through the pieces, not just for yourself, but for us and for your people. God, would you keep your promise? Would you walk in our place? And may the payment of sin fall on you. And this was so important to God that he instructs in his in his in his book, in his laws, that twice a day, twice a day in the temple, there would be a specific sacrifice, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one at 9 a.m., one at 3 p.m. And and, and these uh, w- w- would be known by all the people wherever, wherever they lived that at nine in the morning, at three in the afternoon, that an te- uh, animal would be sacrificed. And at that time, God's people would step away from whatever they were doing, and they would pray to God in light of all their sins and their failures, God, you walk to the pieces on our behalf. God, would you please keep your promise? And so beginning with Moses, every single day at nine and three, rain and shine, holiday, non-holiday, whether they're at war or at peace, this would happen. In fact, by Jesus' day, this nine and three sacrifice developed into such an elaborate ceremony where they had a priest who would stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And at nine in the morning, at three in the afternoon, he'd just blare that shofar throughout the city To let everybody know that at that moment, and it's crazy because the last time I went to Israel, I started to envision what this was like. I was driving one night to pick someone up from the airport and all of a sudden crazy stuff started happening. Not that all the cars stopped. That in the direction I was going, all the cars going the other direction stopped. Everybody who was walking on the street and the streets were filled, everybody stopped. Everybody in a car got out of their car and stood next to their car. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, what in Rome you do as the Romans do. That applies to Israel as well, so I just stopped my car, obviously, and got out, and I stood there, and I heard this horn blaring, and then it stopped, and everybody stood there in silence, for at least a minute. The next day, I'm, I'm, I'm out jogging. In a very crowded area. I had my headphones on and I'm jogging. Again, I'm getting this weird feeling like, oh my gosh, what am I doing jogging right now? Everybody's stopping again. I take my headphones out. I hear the horn blaring. I don't care. Even the boats, because I was on the beach, out in the in head. Stopped. Everybody Stopped for 2 minutes they just stood there it was memorial day they do this on holocaust day and they remember they remember all the lives that were lost so can you imagine come with me to jerusalem 2000 years after god makes this covenant to abraham And Jerusalem is thronging with millions of people. It's a Friday. It's it's, it's Passover. And as it approaches 3 p.m., a priest finds his place on a pinnacle with, with his shofar. And he blasts that noise for the whole city to hear. bibles tell us on this day outside the city three men are hanging on crosses and the one in the middle who looks dead raises his head and shouts it's finished and our texts tell us he shouted that at 3 p.m. And what did he mean by that? Not just all the pain, all the agony, it's finally done. But all these sacrifices, all these years upon years of of sacrifice and prayers, God, keep your promise. God kept his promise. And Jesus' blood dripped. In almost the same dust that God made this covenant with Abraham 2,000 years ago. Every other religion, every other worldview, all tells you, you, you have to walk through the pieces. It's all about you. It's how good you are. It's how well you perform. It's how beautiful you are. It's what you can accomplish. And when you blow it and you make mistakes, the consequences are on you, but not with this God. That's why the writers of the Bible say it's gospel. God says it's on me. I live the life you could never live. I died the death you deserve to die. I did it in your place. And here's where you have to ask the question, why would God make such a promise in the first place, let alone keep it? And Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured cross. And that joy that's before Christ as he's enduring the cross is us. And it's the thought of us. He loves us so much that even to endure the cross was joy for him. Do you know how loved you are? For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever trusts him will have his life forever. And when we take communion, do you know what we're celebrating? We are remembering a God who walked between the pieces And in doing that, made a promise. It's going to be on me. It's going to be on me. And it's also the fulfillment that he was cut to pieces, as he said, that he did stand in our place, that he took the blows, and he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he said, I want that to be real food. I want you to eat that. I want you to get that into your soul. Because that's the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And nothing in all the world can separate you from that love. So God, this morning, I just pray our hearts are in a place of worship. God, where we're done trusting ourselves and trusting our own performance and our efforts, God, that we would see the picture Because to have the faith of Abraham demands that we see it. So open the eyes of our heart to see the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. And right now, I'd just like to prepare our hearts to take communion by having silence. And let's have that silence brought to us this shofar. Father's Day there's only one true father that our hearts long for and he is a good father so father thank you for everything and in light of that have a great day